Greetings old Haleburians and members of the wider Halebury community, wherever and whenever you are. This is Keith White from the Class of 62, bringing you the first of what we hope will be a regular podcast series using material from the Halebury archives. As well as an impressive collection of documents, photographs and objects, the school is fortunate to possess a collection of cassette tape recordings of important occasions from the last 40 years or so. Before I talk to Gordon Hawley from the class of 65 about his involvement with this audio archive, let's have our quiz question. Over to my digital assistant, Hayley. Thanks, Keith. The question is, which three of the school's headmasters or principals were appointed from the staff rather than from outside? Thanks, Hayley. Something to think about. Answer at the end of this podcast. Now, let's have a chat with Gordon. Today I'm talking to Gordon Hawley. Gordon, you were at Haleybury when? 1957, arrived there from Scotland, went into grade five and left in 1965. But that wasn't the end of your commitment or involvement with the school, was it? No, absolutely not. I played hockey with the old boys for a while and then got married and had children and uh, from then on I, I suppose it wasn't until the two boys ended up at Haleybury because I enrolled them from day one of their birth and I sort of showed an interest from then on in the history of the school and decided to become part of the archives team in an honorary capacity. So when was that about five years ago 2012-13? Be about that. Now I hear I know because I ask you to do it you've been involved with the digitization of our cassette collection. How have you done that and how have you found it? Ah well that's been a a terrific uh, job really even though it's taken five years to complete it started off as just making a digital copy of the sound files from all these cassettes there are about three to four hundred of them and then it got to the stage where perhaps they should be edited but oh, it was a fantastic way of getting some more of the history of the school and learning about some of the characters And did you have a background in sort of um, digital audio engineering before you took on this job? Oh, heavens above, no. No, you you ask your kids to start you off with that. What's on these audio cassettes that you've converted into digital form? Oh, it's a mixture. Lots of assemblies, lots of final assemblies for year 12, lots of speech nights, Founders' Day ceremonies, concerts and guest speakers and it got to the stage where the guest speakers were of such an interest that I went back through the already edited tapes and uh, picked out the speeches by people at assemblies and uh, set up a a separate file of those. Can you remember some of their names? There's lots of Frank Northcote of course and quite a lot of John Neal but Ones that stick in my mind, one particular one was by Sir Ben Dickinson, who was a guest speaker at Speech Night, and although his speech was rather short, there was a lot of emotion in it. His voice kept breaking up, and uh, it, uh, it almost got to the stage where it brought a tear to my eye. Well, we look forward to hearing that. We're going to be using quite a lot of Gordon's work over the next weeks and months in the From the Archives podcast. So thank you, Gordon, for that. We'll definitely be back in touch with you for recommendations on what of your recorded interviews we might use in our program. Thanks again. So now let's have a listen, as Gordon suggested, to Sir Ben Dickinson speaking in December 1981 at Speech Night in the Dallas Brooks Hall. 
This was the momentous year that Haileybury first won the APS Athletics competition. Sir Ben is introduced at some length by the then Council Chairman, Bill Butters. Mr and Mrs Dickinson's two sons, Ben and Jim, attended Haileybury. Jim was to be killed in action during the war. Ben was school captain and Ducks of Haileybury in 1930 and captain of both tennis and cricket, with, I might add, some quite remarkable bowling averages. In 1929, he took 52 wickets for an average of 10 runs, and in the same year, he made 147 with the bat against Ivanhoe. Ben subsequently attended the University of Melbourne. He became a geologist, and this led to a very distinguished career in mining in both government and private areas. He was head of the South Australian Mines Department from 1943 1956 and Managing Director of Rio Tinto Australian Exploration Propriety Limited from 1956 to 1960. He was knighted in 1980. Sir Ben Dickinson has a deep and unique relationship with Halebury and I have much pleasure in welcoming him to this speech night and I now invite him to address us and later to present the prizes. Ladies and gentlemen, Sir Ben Dickinson. Mr Chairman, ladies and gentlemen, boys of Halibri, my wife and I are indeed grateful to be your guests of honour. It is natural for me on this occasion to conjure up memories of Halebury in the 20s and 30s when I was at school. The school roll barely numbered 100 and struggled for existence under the control of my parents, supported by five resolute teachers. In sport, we almost won a cricket premiership. We fared well in swimming, but were unable to achieve an athletic first which deserves the fullest congratulation in this magnificent year of Halebury. Now, after nearly 50 years since the first courageous step was taken by my father and mother in buying Castlefield to cater for the school's future, Halebury is in the front rank of the great schools of Australia. I know what satisfaction my parents would be enjoying if they could be present at this gathering. Their cherished belief in the immortality of Halebury has been realised. My father was renowned for his speech night addresses, inflicting on parents, not so much on the students, his educational philosophy, exhorting parents uh, to recognise and practise the disciplinary control that we as students knew only too well. Discipline, however, was not a punishment at Halebury. It was a recognised code of behaviour, which I know exists today. 
I can only speak as a student, but having grown into the outside world, I must sincerely say that I acknowledge the debt I owe to Halibri, its masters, who helped in my upbringing and recognition of the worth of school life. It is a great thing to feel that Halibri has now an enviable record in raising to the community boys who are destined to become honourable, useful and distinguished citizens in sport, business, science and all other walks of life. I know you are looking forward, possibly impatiently, as I used to be, to receive the fruits of one's labours in the prizes that I've been asked to present to you. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to renew with you the Halebury feeling of achievement and friendship. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure you'd all wish me to express our appreciation to Sir Ben, both for his remarks and also for presenting the prizes. Now, we have a special way of doing this for one who is part of the school family. And so the school will sing, for he is a Haley man. The school stands. tempted to edit out the Haley Man bit, rather challenging audio levels, but it's actually a prime example of the most impressive way that Michael Aikman was able to weave his love of Gilbert and Sullivan operettas into the fabric of the school with the most positive effect at the time. As we'll hear in our next segment, which I've taken from an interview by Bill Waters, head of Haleybury Heritage and Archives, with Jim Brown in 2012. Jim passed away in August this year after 65 years outstanding involvement with the school as a student, teacher and administrator. In this extract, Jim talks about the first decade of the Aikman years from the mid-70s to the mid-80s. Well, I agree, certainly it was a golden era for Halebury. I agree with that. 
I think you need to get it into perspective and see what the, the position was in the 70s uh, in order to understand the 80s, and in the sense that the 70s for Haileybury, I think, was a difficult decade. The move to Keysborough was a long-term project. If it was going to bear any fruit, it would take time to achieve that. Problems which uh, were involved, as you would know, were, were the distance from Brighton or Beaumaris to Keysborough, uh, the bus trip, which Sutton had to make, the fact that uh, they had to transfer out after year eight, which was a difficult time. This led to a loss of enrolments at the end of year eight. And then, of course, in the 70s was the, uh, the move of St Leonard's to co-education, and we lost something like 50 students a year for a couple of years. So th that was difficult. And at the same time, the facilities at Keysborough, if I compare it with what it's like today, were not good. The main oval, you may or may not remember, had to be re-sown several times, rocks were found, and as far as cricket or football ground, it was not really up to APS standard, which was a great disappointment to, to David Bradshaw. There was dust from the market gardens, there was a merging of staff who'd been with Ann Chapman for several years, and a, a different culture, I suppose, to some extent, prevailed between the, the old guard who at Brighton and the new guard who at Keysborough. There was also a lack of sporting success until that win in 1977 in, in football. So it was that point Michael Aikman uh, decided, although he didn't have any background in Australian Reels football, that he wanted to become a coach of second 18 beside John Masters to try to lift the profile of sport in the school. He wasn't going to contribute a great deal by his own coaching, but by his presence you know, out on the track with the football, as that was a way of lifting things. So. By the 1980s, things began to change, and there were two major projects, building projects, which are, I think, key to any independent school. Namely, the building of a great hall, which was finished in 1983, and then the Bradshaw Chapel in 1987. There were also other things like facilities like an athletics track, the refurbishment of Castlefield, and so on. Going back to the buildings just for a minute, it was a golden era in the sense that we employed the best architects that were around. Mockridge Mitchell for the hall and Philip Cox and mm -hmm. Leonard, Leonard French for the, for the chapel. And these to me are symbols of a great school. And I think you're quite right in saying, yes, it was a golden era. If I could just add a few more things about the 80s, which to me seemed to be important. It was a golden era in sport, most obviously in athletics. Yeah. Who can forget that APS Athletics meeting at Olympic Park in 1981? And we managed to repeat that feat for four years in a row, and then two more years, I think, in the 80s as well. And athletics is a big task to mobilise a force of athletes across a lot of age groups. To have those successive wins really lifted the profile of Haleby, I think, in the APS community. It was comparable, if I can be a historian again, with the success that had been enjoyed in, uh, in the 60s, with football in 65, cricket in 66 and 68. Halebury really sort of came into its own at that point in the APS. It had struggled in the early years in the APS, but it was now on top. Unfortunately, of course, we then had the move to Coosbury, which created some problems, let's put it that way. The other key things about the 80s are the emphasis on music and drama. I always said this when I was taking parents around the school, that this was the third dimension of excellence, academics, sport, and then music and drama. And here, I think the appointment of key people by Michael Aikman was very important. And that was Michael Rowland in charge of drama. And he recruited Stuart Bell, of course, yes. who is still with us, yes. and still performing at an extraordinarily high level. 
and George Loki Smith was persuaded to come out of retirement to, to be the director of music. The thing was that Loki Smith was employed, I think, as a consultant to advise on the appointment of the director of music, and I think Michael persuaded him to take the job. And, of course, he was a great musician, very tough on people, but lifted the profile of music in the school where it's stayed for the year since then. As well as music and drama, I think Aikman built on the academic progress made in the Bradshaw era. There were things like uh, honour boards introduced for scholars and an honours assembly. Hmm, fascinating stuff. I was most fortunate to work with Jim in archives for a number of years in the early 2000s. His intimate knowledge of the school's history was a priceless asset which will be sorely missed. We'll continue this interview in the next episode, leading up to the Pargeter years. To finish up, we have the opening song from the 1959 production of The Pirates of Penzance. The opening in 1956 of the Memorial Hall, now the Dickinson Hall, made it possible to stage large musical productions for the first time as the school swelled in size. Pirates was the first of these and the first step in establishing the outstanding music and drama tradition which the school celebrates today. The sound is a little rough, as are some of the voices, one of which I must confess is mine, but it was recorded nearly 60 years ago, probably by staff member Brian Pearson, known affectionately as Sono. Brian was a skilled practitioner in audio film and photography and passed this enthusiasm on to many students at the time. Here's Hayley with the answer to the quiz question. The correct answer is, Louis Berthon, Sholto Black and Derek Scott were all appointed from the staff. Hands up if you got that right. Well, that's it for this first From the Archives podcast. The next episode will be coming soon. If you've got a story you'd like to tell or a question about our Haleybury heritage you want to ask, please get in touch. This is Keith White signing off From the Archives, Series 1, Episode 1, November 2018.